0: Welcome to Femboldened. A podcast where inspiration meets aligned action, where science meets spirit, and where you've landed to enliven the bulb within you. I'm your host, Angelica Pascone, multidimensional healer and empowerment coach, specializing in helping heart-centered, high achievers like you to shatter their personal and professional self-built glass ceilings. Get ready to awaken to your truest potential as we dive deep into the emboldened stories, wisdom, and wisdom and medicine of our fellow impact-driven visionaries to energize you into living your bold. The only question is, are you ready? Let's get started. Emboldened. Welcome, Femboldeners, to another awesome episode. Amanda and I just met uh, five minutes ago, and it was love at first sight, so you know this is bound to be a really great magical episode, as it always is. Amanda Kate is the author of Divine Messy Human, a spiritual guide to the prioritizing internal truth over external influence, a kinesiologist, a mentor, an archetypal life coach, a mother, and so much more. A recovering people pleaser and self-flagellator, she walks the path straddling the divine and the messy daily, always growing, developing, and learning new ways of being to, hopefully, one day, leave this earth better than she found it. Amanda Kate is also passionate about sharing her business skills with practitioners, business owners, and entrepreneurs. She draws on her experience in natural therapies, communications, and all the industries she's worked in to create a holistic success and wealth on all levels. A spiritual seeker and truth teller, her inner sage has an insatiable quest for knowledge, wisdom, and new ways of becoming. Welcome, Amanda. I'm so glad you're here today. I'd love to know, well, first and foremost, how you are today, who you are today, and I guess what's going on in your world today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, my day has literally just started. I'm at the opposite end of the day to you. So it is very early in the morning. So it's actually a nice time to be awake. Um, Yeah, Amanda Kate based in Melbourne, Australia. Um, So that's down the southeast of Australia. Um, So very close to the beach, which is lovely. So that's sort of where I spend most of my morning. So as soon as I'm finished here, I'll be going walking my dog up there. So yeah, so that's where I'm at and I'm doing well.
0: (laughs) Beautiful. You know, as I was re- mm. rereading your bio, I, you know, I couldn't help but think, you know, as a mom, too, we tend to wear a lot of hats. And I was always somebody who was multi-passionate even before I became a mother. But I, I'm curious, before we dive into your whole story, how mm. have you managed wearing so many hats? You know, I I think for me, it's been a learning curve, and I'm still in it, of, yes, I have the intention of doing all these things. but I don't have a big enough plate i was just having this conversation with my husband i'm like i wish my plate was just a little bit bigger so then i can do all the things i actually uh, want to what's been that experience yeah. for you
1: i think um it, i guess i haven't met a mom so far that it's not the experience for mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i balancing you know for for a long while there I was balancing study and a divorce and my raising my children and building a business and you know even now, years down the track, there is still those elements of study. There's a new relationship. There's, you know, balancing that blended family. There's balancing the children. There's, you know, doing the working in the business and the working on the business. And as you know, working on the business doesn't make you money when you're an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. That's just, you know, effectively donated time. So I think you're right. You know, it's, it's always that challenge. And I can't say I always get it right. You know, there are, there are days that I'm just desperate to switch off. But, you know, having the type of business that I am, or that I have, it' something that I eat, sleep, breathe. It's my lifestyle as well as my job. And it does get to a stage where i'm like i just need a break from all of this because i literally do not switch off 24 7 i am on and and that gets really tiring and and it is why a lot of practitioners lead to burnout mm-hmm. and being cognizant of when you're heading towards that state is really really important so a few weeks ago i noticed i was sort of heading down that path of never switching off, all of that sort of stuff. And I usually do try and turn my computer off on weekends, but at the same time, if something calls, it calls. Um, And so, yeah, I've ended up booking just a road trip just literally to get away and switch my head off for a little while. Um, I think little times away like that where I can actually, you know, leave my computer where it belongs and not check social media and not be online and be away from all of that kind of stuff is – necessary for my business success.
0: Hmm, Yeah. Yeah. And, And are there other, I guess, are there other modalities that you do prophylactically or preventatively in order to, before you get to that, that point of burnout?
1: Oh, always, always. I I don't go more than sort of four or five weeks without a kinesiology session. I see an acupuncturist at the moment. I've been seeing a shamanic healer. I've actually got a hypnotherapy session on Tuesday. So I always have different practitioners. And, you know, if I wake up and I'm not in the right frame of mind, you know, when I'm too deep in my stuff to be able to see what's going on, I literally ask the universe to put a name in my head and I'll ring them and make an appointment. So I have that, you know, I guess emergency list of practitioners that I will call that I trust to work with um so that I can clear my stuff because if I'm not working on my stuff I cannot help my clients I always have to be working and clearing and and I think that's also where you know sometimes those feelings of of exhaustion start coming in is because you're constantly self-reflecting and working on where you're at and all of that sort of stuff so um it is a real juggle and it is a real, you know, management issue, so to speak. Um, you know, and then when it comes to the family, it's also, you know, say, for example, recognizing when that resentment creeps in, you know, resentment being part of the envy family. It's like, when am I coming in from a long day of work where, you know, I may have only been paid for two or three hours, even though I've been working a 10 hour day. Mm-hmm. You know, I come in and everybody's sitting on their computers and, you know, in their rooms and having their downtime and I'm literally in the door and I'm cooking dinner for six people or whatever it is. And so when I notice that resentment coming in, I then have to backtrack and go, okay, if I'm envious of their downtime,
0: Mm.
1: how have I not been looking after myself enough to honour that for me? Now, on those nights, I will often come in and basically I'll serve up dinner and be like, right, you guys are cleaning the kitchen. You're doing all the rest of it. I'll see you tomorrow morning. I'm going upstairs. I'm having a bath and reading a book. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that. I'm not fit for human consumption right now. (laughs) Let's take me out of the picture. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's just that recognising when I need to step back and when I need to step away. And I think the other thing that you mentioned about hats is, is really important because, you know, it's like we put on a you know, as soon as we wake up, we're in, Yeah. you know, mum, partner, you know, for me, dog, mum, you know, all of these different roles you're already in when you're starting the day. And then I think what often happens is when we're switching roles, we're forgetting to take off the other hats we're not having those moments. So we end up, I mean, the image of, you know, 20 hats on your head by the end of the day. And it's like, when are you going to stop and take some of them off? And I think that's also a really important part of the practice is to be able to go, okay, you know, I'm in mum mode right now, so let me just wear that hat. I'm now interacting with my partner. Can I take off my mummy hat? Because let's face it, a mum hat when you're interacting with your partner is not sexy. Um, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> taking off that mum hat and putting on your partner hat or you know consciously stepping into business mode and and then stepping out of it again and that's the other thing that i do notice is if i don't step out of business mode when i come home i'm very much in that more masculine pushing striving doing energy rather than dropping into my feminine when i'm coming home now if i take that time to drop into my feminine when i come home it's like i'm in much better ease with my partner we kind of go into flow together Last night was a perfect example. I came in, I'd run a workshop for Spring Equinox um, all day yesterday, so I was holding space for everybody. I came in, I was still a little bit wired, and so I was buzzing around the kitchen and things, but I was in do mode. I hadn't dropped into that feminine mode. And things just get scratchy and out of hand because, you know, I'm coming in in that more masculine role and my partner gets knocked out of balance because he expects to stand in that role. So when I'm in it, he's like, oh, what do I do? How do I how do I operate? Because you're in my space. And then he doesn't quite know where he fits. And then that causes, you know, that that disharmony. And so it's really important, you know, when I remember, and obviously I didn't get it right last night. So, you know, <laughs> that's why it's a practice. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's like, okay, how do I do that better this morning waking up? How do I go into my day better today so that we can glide along together? you know, in those roles in a better way.
0: That's beautiful. So the Amanda Kate that so articulately explains what it's like to wear all these hats and take them off and being able to be self-aware enough to switch modes and switch hats instead of carry them all on at once. Isn't the Amanda Kate from 10 years ago, I'm guessing.
1: Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. Very different creature. Very different creature. You know, and it's interesting, um, just on on a little side note with that one, um, one of my, or well, my very first kinesiologist became a teacher of mine um, within, I guess, the first oh, 12, 18 months of me studying. And I remember us sitting in class on so many occasions and we would just laugh. They'd say to me, I cannot believe that you're the same person that walked into my office. Mm. Like mm. it's crazy. So I started seeing them, I think it was the beginning of 2015, so that's not, that's what, seven years ago. Yeah. Um, and that change has been massive. I, I guess I'd started on this journey probably about 11 years ago in so many ways I started to look at my life and where I was at. Um, and then really started to deep dive, I guess, probably the, in the year or so before I found kinesiology. So around the end of 2013 I started realising that I was very sick. Um, I was having three-hour naps in the afternoon and was not coping at all. Um, and that's really when everything had to start changing mm. because I couldn't function the way that I was. So, yeah, so it is interesting when you look back, it feels like a completely different lifetime ago, mm. a completely different person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What was going on? Could you set the stage, I guess, of what 2013 Mm -hmm. looked like for you? What, what were you juggling? What was occurring in your situation? What wasn't in alignment and how did you figure out that you weren't in alignment?
1: Yeah, you know, I'd love to say that it was it was this big awakening, but I think it was just the the gradual drips in the bucket of, of awareness. And, um, you know, I'd spent 11 years in the UK. I got married. I had two beautiful children. And then I was always from Australia, so I, w- I was homesick and wanted to be back. Um, so we, when my ex-husband was made redundant from a role of his, we took the opportunity then to emigrate back to Australia. And so... We arrived here in 2011, and to be fair, the first probably four to six months of us being here was probably the best time we'd had in our marriage for a long time. Um, I'd struggled being away from family. I had struggled not having a support system. I had struggled pretty much doing all of that stuff on my own for so long. I struggled with the ever-changing goalposts of expectation that was placed on me by my ex-husband. Um and by myself, let's not put, you know, it's, there's no blame in this, by the way. There was there was also my own expectations put in there. And, and so I was already carrying a fair weight. Then when we moved here, you know, like I say, things were pretty good for a little bit. And then they just started going downhill more and more and more. And by 2013, I was needing three-hour naps in the afternoon. I was seeing all kinds of different people because the doctors had said to me, You're the healthiest sick person we know. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. We've done your blood tests. Like, we can't find anything wrong. And I guess that real wake-up call for me was I went to a gynecologist because I was suffering with my cycle over 13 days a month. So I would have six or seven days when I was ovulating where I was not functioning and then another six or seven days at the end of the month when I was bleeding Mm -hmm. that I was also struggling. And he tried to put me on antidepressants and I'm going – The problem is not the, like, I'm not depressed. I guess I am because of circumstance, but, you know, it it just doesn't feel like that's the answer. So anyway, I filled the prescription like a good girl and took them for literally only a couple of days, and I'm like, this just doesn't feel right. And that's really what led me into natural therapies. I started seeing a naturopath and working with her. She got me off gluten, um, which was a big, you know, I guess change for me. I started seeing a Chinese doctor. I was seeing a chiropractor. I, um, you know, I just started seeing these different natural therapies, um, and I started getting a few answers, but still just not enough. Um, the beginning of twenty fifteen um we headed away for a family holiday and there was a fairly traumatic event where my ex-husband basically spent four hours telling me (laughs) all the things that were wrong with me and how i was broken and how much i was you know causing our marriage issue and all of this sort of stuff and it was it was highly traumatic for both myself and the children who were asleep next door um mm-hmm. as much as they were sleeping. I'm amazed they could sleep through it and I wouldn't have been surprised if you know I know subconsciously they're affected by it. Um because we all are with things like that, you know, and again, no blame to us, no blame to him. You know, we've all traumatized our kids in some way.
0: As much as we try <laughs> not to, right? There's, so not to get off topic, but I once heard Yeah. Somebody, there was a story and I don't know if it's, it's a, a, a legend or, or just like a, a made up story or real one, but there were these highly mm. evolved and conscious parents who did everything they could to not traumatize their, their child. And they did so successfully, but when the child went to school, the trauma was, he couldn't connect because there was no other, mm. he, he, cause everybody else had traumas that they were dealing with. So he couldn't, his trauma was that there was no traumas
1: within him well i think the whole reason we have trauma you know is and it's the way that we internalize it's the way we store it in our body so something that i find traumatic you wouldn't find traumatic and vice versa you know potentially um and we're not talking about you know i guess i hate really classifying it but we're not always just talking big t traumas the the abuse the rapes the you know sexual assaults the big accidents the you know, disabilities, the all of those sorts of really big traumatic events. I'm also talking about the little drip-in-the-bucket type effects, you know, having overly critical parents or having parents who – didn't love us in the way that we wanted to be loved. And again, it's not saying they didn't love us, they did. I I, I think unless your parent is a sociopath or a psychopath, our parents love us the best way they can with the best mm. tools they have available. And you know what, even in those extreme cases, they're still doing the best they can with the tools they have. Right. They just you know, don't always have the most resourceful toolkit. Mm. And so, yes, it's fine, we have that understanding. But also, you know, if you look into Dr. Gabor Mate's work and, and how some of those trauma bonds are created, you know. We come into this world as part of that whole I am. We are pure love and peace and joy and happiness. We are pure God Source Spirit. We come into this world and we're in this, you know, limited little meat suit that doesn't understand it's separate from everybody else. And we need to learn that we're separate. So our job is to make everything about us so that we can understand how we are individual in this in this world, in this existence, so that we know that we are not our mum or the doctor or our dad or the nurse in the room or, you know, we have to understand that we are separate. And so, you know, if you go to the Dr Spock you know, teachings of how to parent 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, and even when I was raising my children in sort of the early 2000s, you know, my, my kids were born 2005, 2007. Now, even then, there was this, you know, baby whisperer in the UK who, who basically w- used a version of Dr. Spock's type work, um, where you, you feed on a schedule, you sleep on a schedule, you know, everything's done on a schedule. Now, babies don't live on a schedule we try and force them into it to make them more convenient to our life. Mm -hmm. Now, I went against all of my instincts Mm -hmm. when I was in that parenting mode. Now, leaving a child to cry for, you know, lengths of time, that would have never happened back in our tribal kind of days Mm -hmm. would have had them you know a lot of ancient cultures their kids barely touched the floor until they were two you know they were constantly carried everywhere they were held with them they slept with them you know everything just happened in that way and and you know if you leave a baby to cry it's going my needs aren't important Mm. i'm not worthy of connection i'm not enough you know, for my parents to love and look after and all of that sort of stuff. And it's great now that the science is catching up with what we've known for a long time in that trauma-informed somatic therapy world. Mm-hmm. Because I was learning this back when, you know, I started studying in 2015, 2016 um, to, to do the work that I'm doing. And so this this knowledge has been around for a long time, but it's like the science is only just starting to prove what we've already known. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not, there's no blame on it for the parents who raised us that way. Mm-hmm. Because they're only doing what they knew and they were doing the best they could. And their parents were only doing what they knew and they were doing the best they could. And and that that just gets carried on to us. And I think starting to understand our traumas and and how we have made these stories through our experiences. Mm-hmm. Is vital for how we interact with everybody in the world. Mm. Mm.
0: So well said.
1: Yeah. yeah. So that's, I guess, that's where I go to with my children in the next room when, when the dad was, you know, screaming and shouting at me and, and pacing around, and you know, that energy would have been felt by them.
0: Yeah.
1: Even if they weren't consciously aware of it, it was going into their subconscious.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that in itself is traumatic. Yes. Um And so I came back from that holiday, um, just an empty shell of a human being. I, don't, I think I pretty much checked out of the holiday after that event. I barely spoke, I was afraid to speak because I thought, oh whatever I do is going to be wrong, so I may as well just keep my mouth shut. Um, got home got a mental health plan because again i thought i needed to be fixed um rang a psychologist because i knew that she worked in mindfulness and in that sort of way a bit more holistically and so i was booking into a mindfulness course and i wanted a couple of sessions with her but this was the end of the april and i couldn't get in with her until the middle of the may yeah. and the next course wasn't starting until the end of the may and so The receptionist asked me a question that none of my doctors had ever asked me, that no other health professional had asked me, and she said, you know, if you don't mind me asking, you sound quite stressed, you know, what's going on for you? So I sort of gave the more high-level socially appropriate response, which was, you know, we've just moved from the UK. My husband's in a job he's not happy in. He's also getting used to living across the world from his family. You know, my daughter was struggling because she'd just started school back in the UK and then she wasn't allowed to because she was too young to start here. Mm. And then my son was being physically harmed at school Mm. in, I think he was at this school for 26 weeks and he was harmed 13 times. And he was, you know, this happy-go-lucky, just beautiful little six-year-old boy who went from loving school to stomach aches and slumped shoulders and all of that. And so anyway, I told the receptionist assistant, and she goes, okay, so who's got your back? Who's holding you up? And that was it. That was just the floodgates opened and I could barely speak to her. And she said, okay, we've got, you know, a couple of people on staff that you might want to see. We've got a Reiki person and a kinesiologist. And I'd had Reiki before, but it it hadn't resonated with me. Um, it sort of felt um, I just didn't have the right practitioner for it to feel mm, aligned yeah, with. yeah with where I was at. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I said, okay, look, I'm willing to try anything. Book me in with a kinesiologist. And that first session, I still remember it was the 24th of April Mm. in 2015 and it changed my life. And my first day studying, sitting in the classroom for the intro day, was the 24th of October. So literally six months to the day later I was sitting in the classroom because I went, if I can help one person the way this has helped me, I'm, you know, I'm doing some good in the world. Mm. So, yeah.
0: For our listeners, mm. what is kinesiology?
1: Yeah, so kinesiology for us is, is slightly different, um, although a similar kind of premise. You know, mm. we're looking at movement. But rather than the movement of muscles, which we do look at, we also encompass the movement of energy how the energy systems are working in your body. What is the, where are the energetic blocks? Where do we need vibrational changes? Um, so we use what's called manual muscle testing um, and people like Dr. Bruce Lipton and um I've gone blank on a few of the other names, but a lot of uh, Dr. David Hawkins, he was also a big proponent of it. So some of those, you know, quite famous people have have talked a lot about kinesiology or psych K. Um, and, and so it's using the muscle tone to determine what's going on in the subconscious. So if, say, for example, you know, if you imagine it a little bit like the wiring in your house, if something's stressful, the message isn't going to get through. And so the muscle will not hold its tone. And so we're checking that muscle tone for stresses in the subconscious. So the way I describe it is it's like your body is speaking to you in you know, Russian and you're trying to speak to it in French. And I'm translating it for you because we haven't been taught to learn the language of our body and so it's it's looking at what's floating in that subconscious bringing it through the conscious brain and then using vibrational remedies or acupressure points on the body or you know some other vibrational healing method to then shift that vibration a different state so we're becoming consciously aware of the subconscious patterns so that we can see them more readily and we're changing that vibrational state so that it's not an aligned match anymore Mm. and so then a lot of those old patterns fall away so it is classed within the somatic therapies Mm. so like emdr your eft tapping that sort of thing where we're actually shifting the trauma out of the body
0: Right. Right. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. Because yeah, what we call kinesiology here is is different. You know, I'm more, we would call it muscle testing and craniosacral therapy and a mix of Mm. all those things. But I love that it's just combined into, into one. And it's interesting that we're having this conversation. My husband and I just did a couple's massage, the first one since like three days before our wedding. So it's the first one in maybe four years, over four years that we've done together. And as the, Massage therapist was working on me. All of these memories started flooding back where, that I thought were seemingly random. So I'm a physician assistant, but mm-hmm. I'm also a medium and a Reiki practitioner, and I mm-hmm. do EFT. And all right, so like I'm I'm I I definitely bridge both worlds here. Um, and as I'm mm-hmm. I'm recalling patients that I saw in their final days from primary, from when I was working mm-hmm. in primary care, and. And just the, I, would, I wouldn't say the pain that I experienced, but the emotional toll that it took on me. And, and I was actually brought to yeah. um, even more just like how draining it was for certain ones versus others and, and where they were in life mm-hmm. and how much more I worked for ones than the others, because they didn't really want to be participants in their own health. And I told my husband when he sat, when we got back in the car, he goes, well, how was that for him? Like, you know, it was a release. I think my, my muscles were, cause the, the practitioner, the therapist was hitting certain points that nobody's ever massaged on me. And I thought to myself, I'm like, I, I think I, I healed in there because I think he hit things yeah. that needed to be released. Um, so it was, it was pretty amazing. And here we are now having this conversation. Nothing's ever a coincidence, of course. Um, so thank you for, for explaining your practice of kinesiology and, and how mm-hmm. it works where you're at. So, so April 24th, 2015 changed your life. Who were you? What, Mm -hmm. what, what emotions were you feeling when you walked in and how were you, who were you when you walked out of that session?
1: I was an absolute mess. Like I didn't feel like a human being. I felt like an absolute empty shell. I had nothing left. And I almost felt like it was a bit of a last ditch effort of of ever f- feeling anything again. Really, I'd been so numb since the event um, at the in late March. I literally just had been in survival mode. I was really deep in that dorsal vagal disassociated state where I I was not functioning. Um, and I walked in there, and I still remember. It. And like I say, we laugh. But, we laugh so often about it because I walked in and I said to her, I'm so broken and I need to fix myself enough so that I can save my marriage. Mm. And that was the first thing I said to her. And I'm sure she just went, cha ching. <laughs> I've, I've got some work cut out for me here. Because <laughs> um, it was, I mean, realistically, it was a, it was, a, I don't know if we're allowed to swear, but it was a pretty fucked up way yeah. to, even think Mm -hmm. about life and myself and you know it took me years and years and a few brave people reminding me that I was actually never broken Mm -hmm. I was always where I needed to be to learn what I needed to learn now in that session I think the most life-changing thing was that the practitioner said to me you don't understand how emotionally abused you are do you Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I was like Oh, my God. And I saw it in some other major relationships of mine. It took me four months to recognise that the biggest abuser was in my bed with me and it took me another four months then to to leave him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it is interesting when you have children with somebody because, you know, as much as you leave, you are never fully right. disconnected. Um, which also kind of sucks in so many ways because, you know, I've even had messages only a couple of months ago that were pretty disgusting and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm still not, you know, free free from this. But at the same time I also deal with it in such a different way now. Like I just don't engage. I don't give what, you know, what he's looking for and I just stop the conversations and I'm like I'm not even getting into that with you. Like you can stay in your deluded headspace if you want to, but I'm not engaging. And so, you know, I I do have those really strong boundaries now, but I do remember that session and just walking out feeling like there was a, a, a glimmer of hope somewhere. And I didn't know where that hope was, but it had felt like something had shifted and cracked through for me to be able to see a possibility of a future mm. and that was a really important place for me to get to mm. Mm. and then i guess it sort of it grew from there you know every session <clears throat> i just was learning so much more about myself what got me to that stage how i how i'd fallen into those traps you know the the trauma patterns from childhood that i guess reinforced those beliefs and i'm not saying it was necessarily from my parents but you know when you look at the church you look at society you look at um you look at the school you look at your friends you look at you know all of those different messages that you're getting from every different perspective those trauma patterns really did set me up for you know what i lived and and again there's no blame in that it just is the path that we walk um and it's It's fascinating then I guess I started bringing in different practitioners and starting down different routes and and four different practitioners ended up saying to me, you've got chronic fatigue. And again, that was another huge shift for me to go, oh, my God, like there actually is something going on. Like there's an explanation for this. Mm -hmm. Now giving it a name is great people go, well, why have you got chronic fatigue? Well, because I've got these symptoms. Well, why have I got these symptoms? Because you've got chronic fatigue. You know, this seems to be that sort of medical loop, you know. Why do I have diabetes? Because you've got this problem. Well, you know, why do I have these problems? Because you've got diabetes. You know, it can be those same loops. Whereas kinesiology and, and some of the other modalities I was seeing was interested kind of in the symptoms and the diagnosis, so to speak, but they were more interested in why it was there, what caused it, what was that seed that was planted Mm -hmm. that grew into that. And that's what really lit me up because all of a sudden I could see how all of those past traumas I had stored in my body were creating some of those systems to start shutting down and and operating suboptimally. And that was that real gold for me because then I could understand why I was in that situation, what had caused it, rather than just, well, you've got this because you've got these symptoms, or I've got these symptoms because I've got this disease, you know, and going around in that circle loop. I was able to break out of that loop and really look at what was sitting underneath.
0: Right. Yeah. In, in mm. essence, you know that that why empowered you to move from the victim of life. Like Mm. life just happens. This is what we deal with to observer of, Mm. oh, this is why. And that prompts you to go even further into being able to be a participant in your own life. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And to take control.
0: Yeah. Yes. To be able to
1: make more choices about what I was letting in about who I was spending time with about where my energy was going about why it was going there Mm. all of that sort of stuff I I was able to become more empowered with my own health to find you know to walk away from practitioners who no longer served me and walk towards practitioners who were better suited because of you know my changes and not being afraid to ask questions of them to see if you know, we're still right fit or whatever it is. And and that was really important as well. You know, I look at it now and even some of the clients that come to me, they just oh, yeah, I was referred to you. Now, I'm more than happy to take a phone call from a few people and go, look, let's talk about how I can help and what I can do, what I can offer. But people often spend less time researching and finding out about those who are going to help them with their mental health, their emotional health, their spiritual health, than they are when they're, you know, looking for a new car or a new pair of shoes.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And for me that is crazy. And people will go out and say buy the newest iPhone or whatever, and then they complain about spending money on their health. And it mind boggles me often because my biggest priority has not been the stuff. You know, I'm still buying the cheaper clothes. I'm still buying, you know, (laughs) bare minimum of stuff because my priority is my health.
0: Right.
1: Because without my health, I have nothing. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Without my vitality, I'm not living my best life. So having stuff isn't going to do anything for me. Mm -hmm. And that has been one of the big changes as well is is that, that shifting of priorities of what's important to me.
0: Yeah. I know too, mm. as well in the states here. There's such a um, a sense of disempowerment within mm. the medical system. I mean, even you had mentioned we're not making choices regarding the practitioners mm. we're choosing. We're forced yes. here, you know, to choose what mm. our insurance will cover, right? Yeah. Or you pay out of pocket and. And, yeah. uh, and you're right, there, there's there's so much to be said about society valuing things mm. and uh, materials and, and, and such, and you've got to keep up with the Joneses. We, we I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. that phrase. Um yes. but, but you yeah. know you've got to do what your what your your friends and neighbors and co-workers are doing. Mm. Um and and it can it can get cloudy, but you know, there's there's definitely a huge sense of disempowerment in all of my patients that I encounter. It's very rare for me to find a patient that is empowered to tell me, actually, that doesn't feel right for me. And so every time I meet a new patient, I tell them, listen, I have the knowledge. I tend to have a really good gut feeling when it comes to my patients. But if ever there is a little inkling in you that says, this is not for me, I need you to tell me because my job is simply as a medium between the knowledge I have and the knowledge you don't have. So then you can make an informed choice about your care. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. the first time. I mean, even, even then that's the first time that they've, you know, been told that. And I, and I always used to tell my mm. patients too, if you don't leave here feeling like you made a choice that feels good for you, then I didn't do my job. And you need to either find somebody else mm. or tell me, you know, and yeah. that's,
1: you know, and it's beautiful. Like if more people, if more doctors had and physicians had that, philosophy we would be in a much better place because you're often not given those choices you're often not told that you're allowed to Mm -hmm. think about what is going to be the best course of action for you and I don't know you know I mean I know over here I look at a lot of our GPs I'm still yet to find one that resonates with me Mm -hmm. they automatically poo poo whatever it is that I suggest and yet They are not nutrition experts. I'm not saying that I'm a nutrition expert, but I've done, you know, thousands of hours of of nutrition work through my study. I've, you know, looked at biochemical pathways in the body. I've looked at, you know, the ways different body systems work and all of this. And so I'll go in informed with that information to my GP and they don't understand it. So rather than ask questions, they dismiss me out of hand. And I'm going, well, hang on a minute, like I'm allowed to ask these questions and I'm allowed to bring you where I'm at with what I know as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And, and so often it's just big brick wall goes up and I am the doctor and you will trust me and I will tell you what you need to know. Right. And it's like, hang on a minute, mm-hmm. I'm not here for a dictator, I'm here mm-hmm. for a partnership. Mm-hmm. And I think if we had the client, the patient, At the centre and worked together because a lot of my clients do need medication. A lot of my clients do need that, do Mm -hmm. need that help. And if I was able to work together with their doctor, Mm -hmm. it would be so much better for the patient, for me to be able to go back to the doctor and go, okay, there's these traumas sitting here that we are now working on and we are clearing Mm -hmm. the vibrational patterns of, and in the meantime they are going to need that support that you're giving them. Yes. And we, but we're also, we also may need to adjust dosages or whatever it is mm-hmm. because they are getting better. Now I can't have that conversation. Mm-hmm. I had a client come to me and he had been on the same epilepsy medication for 15 years without a doctor monitoring him at all. And when he came into me, he had this whole list of symptoms and I Googled the drug he was on. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them mm-hmm. was a side effect of the drug. Mm-hmm. I said, you don't need me you need to go back to your doctor. And I said, but you cannot tell your doctor that you got that information from me because he would just laugh you out of the park. You need to say, I found it on this website and and these are all the symptoms I'm having. Can we maybe look at changing my medication?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, yes, with epilepsy, he probably needs to be on medication, but I'm sure there's more than that one out there. Mm -hmm. And surely if you're on a medication, you should be being monitored more than you know you get the drug and then you're sent off and you just get a repeat pres- repeat prescription for life
0: right.
1: and so that's where i think that you know my idea would be to be able to have a compassionate healing team mm-hmm. who includes you know western and holistic
0: mm-hmm.
1: alternative sort of practitioners,
0: um,
1: you know, we've got a bit of way to go. And I think, you know, the, the question also, you know, we, we've got to address that, that elephant in the room that a lot of this also comes down to privilege, you know, people in, in poorer, lower class
0: Mm -hmm.
1: places have less access to You know, they can't infor- always afford the insurances. They can't always afford the doctor's visits. They can't always afford the complementary therapies, mm-hmm. you know, and I can't afford to do pro bono yet. You know, if I could, I'd be doing a certain percentage of my practice and eventually that's where I want to get to is where, where I can do, you know, two, three sessions a week for people who are in those categories. But until my business becomes financially viable so I can live comfortably and not be on, you know,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> on the <laughs> that sort of, you know, hand-to-mouth type existence, mm-hmm. then that changes. And that's that's where, you know, it would be lovely if things could get to, is that mm-hmm. privilege comes out of the equation.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I see it all the time right now. I work in psych currently. And mm. I have integrative knowledge. I used to work in integrative medicine. I would provide herbals. I would actually use kinesiology. If a patient was like, "I don't know which one I want," and I'm like, "I don't know which one would work better for you too," and that's how we would find out, yeah. you know. And then of course they were always like, "I knew it." I said, "Then why didn't you say it?" <laughs> right? But yeah. they just were, didn't want to be wrong. Um, but it, but it's true. These these patients, I you know, they they come to me overly medicated, but all they can afford is medication. And they do need some yeah. medication. Or um in yeah. this is I, I just went to an integrative conference a couple weekends ago. And it was it was so great to be with all these like-minded individuals. And mm. I learned that in the United States, Medicare now covers acupuncture for chronic back pain. But, but I was like all excited about this because I'm thinking like (laughs) of all the patients that could be off their opioids and then I can help them with their anxiety because their pain's gone. Uh, But the, the acupuncturist who performs that must also be a licensed healthcare provider, such as a doctor, a nurse practitioner, or a physician assistant. And that healthcare provider has to have a master's in acupuncture in order for them to cover it. So that's like maybe a thousand people Mm -hmm. in the United States. So like it's passed, but there's no access. Right. And you're like, how many people could that help? Right. And it's, it's just so, so yes, getting back to your privilege, right. There's so many patients that I could help and get off certain medications that are leading to more side effects. Cause as you add them, Mm. it's just more and more side effects. Um, But they just, there's, there's not, there's not access for them. They cannot, they cannot afford it. It's stick again, dictated by insurance and, and, government and 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 all of that. So yes, absolutely.
1: And the other thing we see over here a lot, and I'm sure you guys would have a similar thing is, you know, I've got one client in particular I'm thinking of, and you know she's on blood pressure medication with her cardiologist and she's mm-hmm. on this medication from this specialist and she's on this medication for this specialist, but none of the specialists understand. No. The other person's practices. And so they're all dealing in individual medications, but they're also not looking at how all of those medications then work together in the body. Yes. And what side effects putting them together are creating. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is is quite mind-boggling because, yes. you know, I think you guys, you, you also have um, primary physicians that yes. oversee that kind of stuff as well. Yes. Right. We don't always have that. Mm. We don't always have that, but but
0: the knowledge of that is, is, yeah, but the knowledge of that is even limiting. Right. So I, I, I started off in primary care. I was one of those GPs, Mm. Mm. but when things got to a certain point and it was sticky, then I would refer out to a specialist. So if I couldn't control the blood pressure cardiologist, if I couldn't figure out the thyroid medication correctly, endocrinologist. Right. Mm. But I had a patient just this week. On all these different medications, and I asked her. I always ask them any any chronic medical conditions. She said yes, I have chronic mm. kidney disease. I'm like, do you have a nephrologist? No, what's that? Mm. A kidney doctor? Yeah. No, I don't. And, and I'm like, you're yeah. you're uh, you're on end stage kidney disease, and you don't have a nephrologist, and you have all these other p- people prescribing you medications, which can yeah, affect
1: that the are all kidneys. Gonna affect your like, kidneys. <laughs>
0: you need to see a nephrologist, yeah. And here I am psyched yeah. right, telling her that she needs to see. Nephrantes. So, so yes, I, I'm just say, I'm just yeah. adding to, to all of this is, is yes, there's no, there is no coming together. There is also a lack. Mm. And again, I don't, I love how you're saying there's no blame. This is an opportunity for growth for all practitioners mm-hmm. to come together and to be open-minded Absolutely. and listen, even so, so I can understand. Cause I, before my, my spiritual awakening, I was like, yes, get your, get your flu shot do this medication, make sure you get your shingles shot, blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, and there's the, you know, of course I still believe it, but I know there's people that, 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 you know, mm. everybody's different. That being said, yeah. it, it, and I forgot my point already. Oh, regardless of if a patient comes to you and says, you know what? I tried Reiki and it cured my allergies. That's my own example. Mm. Yeah. Instead of shutting it down be like, great. Good for you. Cause guess what? It doesn't matter what it is, if it worked, it worked. There's such a Mm. thing, even though you, you think that all of these drugs are the way to go. Um, this is how you treat this. You have your own algorithms that you spent eight years in school learning. Great. But there's such a thing as a placebo effect. And you know, that to be true. So regardless of what they're coming to you, just say, great, I'm glad it worked. And that's what I tell Mm. my patients. If they're, if they're excited about trying something different, go for it because it's likely to work for you if you are excited about it. Regardless or not, if I yeah. believe it to be true, if you believe it to be true, it's going to work out. And that's all I care about. Yeah. So yeah, anyways, I got on my It got me all excited. I mean,
1: even when you look at, yeah, <laughs> even when you look at, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza and, mm-hmm. you know, he's neuroscientist and people said, oh, you're never going to walk again. He, he just did all of his spiritual work, which he ties highly into science, which I love. You know, he spent... Months and months practicing, visualizing his spinal column, his spinal cord, his his spine regrowing, reforming, so that he'd be able to walk again.
0: Yeah,
1: and he has no problems now, and and it's phenomenal. Now, that goes into that massive mind over matter type
0: mm-hmm.
1: aspect, and you look at the work he's now bringing into the world, and it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The doctors who were treating him would have been like, "You gotta be kidding me!" <laughs> you know?
0: right, right, right. And yeah. and how powerful would that mind over matter be if we were in a society that valued the empowering part of the patient-provider yeah. interaction? Right. Because yes, Absolutely. those people exist. Just like Doctor Joe, Joe Dispenza said, "Nope, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna walk." Actually, here's a great example. I was told by three different dentists that I had I needed a root canal. And I just, Mm. I I sat down with the endontist and she goes, well, your x-ray says you need a root canal, but your exam says you don't. And I was in my body Mm. just wanted to jump out of my skin and leave. So I trusted Mm. that and I tapped and I went to my chiropractor and I got acupuncture and it's better than it's ever been. And I probably don't need. Yeah. Right. So, so, and there's, you know, there's always that, that little part of me that's like, (gasps) oh, Well, maybe it's true when it's, it's decaying as we're speaking. And then I have to tell myself, no, you believe this to be true. This is how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, yeah. if that just, I, again, it goes back to this inner authority that we've been taught to give to providers. And I mean, it's not mm-hmm. only just them, it's everywhere. Our government it, yeah, authority members, like Here's, yeah. here, you know, better Absolutely. than me. And we lose our self-trust. Yep. Um and and that yeah. that I think that in itself brings a lot of disease, but also, yes, puts us in a place where we can never, I shouldn't say we can never. It makes it more challenging to heal from that disease because yeah. there's this belief that i'm not I'm not in control of it.
1: yeah, absolutely. and I, and I think that is is hugely true. You know, you think about anything that happens to you when you're a child. You know, you defer to your parents, you defer to the teacher, you defer to the doctor, and you are told that they are the professionals who tell you what you need. And, yes, you know, there is some of that needed, especially when you're a child because you don't know better. However, that's the messaging that we get. And then we see it carried through into adulthood rather than having this separation. And, again, I don't know how it would work to be able to turn it more and more internal Mm -hmm. until you're doing you know, the, the breakdown and rebuild that I did you what know, exactly. that I see in my clients. And that, that often becomes that time where we're like, hang on a minute, the whole way I've been set up doesn't work for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not to say that, you know, it could have been done any better because I still don't know how we can get, you know, raise those healthy, you know, connected children who trust themselves and then know when to defer to other people. Yes. You know, I still practice it with myself. You know, there's a lot of things that I can balance in myself, but then there's also a lot of things that I know my ego and personality are going to get in the way of, and I'm still going to try and delude myself into believing that it's true and not recognising that that's actually a structure that I need to dismantle mm-hmm. so that I can move forward in a different way. And that's where I need to employ people from other modalities or, for, you know, other kinesiologists or coaches or whatever who can help me see different perspectives on where I'm at Mm -hmm. to pull me out of that closeness. And so it is, I think it's that lifelong work of, of rebuilding that inner trust when we're, you know, once we come to the realization that we are deferring all of our authority outwards.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I I think you, you also, I don't think you realize you said this, but you're also picked up on something that I find extremely important too, is there's not just one modality that, Trumps yeah. all the rest. It's almost, you yeah. know, there's not one food source that trumps all the rest. You need a little bit of everything and finding, Mm -hmm. like you said earlier, what resonates with you too, because we all are on different frequencies with all different experiences and situations and what might work for one person doesn't mean it works for another. And that's something I'm cognizant of too, just because I cured my allergies with Reiki and I cured my root canal with the tapping doesn't mean that's going to work for the next person that tells me they have similar symptoms. I can share this was my experience. Exactly. Does it feel good for you? Does it feel exciting? Then go with that. If not, let's. What is what feels good for you? Um, yeah. But, but it, it's true. There's 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 different modalities for different things, and and I'm I'm grateful for how far I've come, so that I mm. know what I need when, and when it's time. Okay. Like I'm still trying to. We we moved a couple of years ago with COVID. You know, after COVID. Or during COVID, mm-hmm. I should say, before the birth of my son, and it, it, I'm trying to find a new Reiki practitioner here. And I know, okay, well, you're a nice person, but we don't mesh yet. So, and it, I'm very careful with who I mix my energies yeah. with. Very careful. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, but when our energy is our business, we do have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've had some you know shady practitioners that I've worked with, and that's been my you know i've then had to go to my trusted people and they're like what happened then and i'm like oh, i saw this person and they're like whoa your energy's all out of whack and i'm like that makes a lot of sense because i've been you know struggling with this that or the other and so it is it is quite fascinating and and it doesn't mean that they're they're malicious or anything like mm-hmm. that it's just not an energetic fit Correct. And, and that's really important to start looking at and understanding. And, and I think that's where I was saying before, you know, we're happy to go out and buy the latest phone or we're happy to research what car we want or, you know, shop our shoes around or whatever it is, but we don't seem to do the same with practitioners, and I think that is a vital part of our healing and our health. Mm -hmm. is finding those practitioners that we we do work with well and that we can get those shifts and changes with you know i know a lot about nutrition and nutritional supplementation and things like that but if a client comes to me and needs that stuff i ship them off to a naturopath Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they are more qualified than me to do that now i will work on the energetic stuff around why they need it but I will actually outsource that part. Mm-hmm. I've also sent people to, you know, my acupuncturist. I've sent people to, you know, a medium that I know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, even though there are times that, you know, most of the time in clinic I'm channeling, but sometimes they need that more yeah. specific help. Mm-hmm. than what I can give. You know, there will be people that I will go and suggest, you know, I think you just need a, a good massage or a Cairo or a bit of both. And so there's a lot of that sort of stuff that also comes in is going, well, where is my limitation and what am I comfortable working with? You know, for me, I work a lot with the complex trauma. I work a lot with um individuals who are looking to regain that connection to their inner truth, Mm -hmm. to be able to bring, you know, greater love and success and abundance into their world. I work a lot with business owners increasing their vibrational frequencies so that they can, again, serve more clients at a higher level Um, and, and all of that kind of stuff that I'm doing. And I work a lot in unpacking complex trauma. So again, it's like, okay, well, I know my lane and, Yes, I can do that suggestion of supplements and all of that because I've got the training to do so and I'm qualified to do so. But to me, I'd prefer to look at that bigger picture
0: yeah.
1: holistic view of it and say, okay, what is actually in their highest good? And I'm not going to have the detailed knowledge of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, right, here you go. You go see them. We'll keep working together on this stuff. Right. So, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's something I think... All practitioners face, no matter what their scope of practice is, right? Is just, mm. I mean, great example are are the patients that I have that can't afford the herbs that I think would help them, and I have to trust that the medications that they can't afford are in best practice right now, because adding yes. potential burden isn't is just going to add to the the problems, right? So, yeah, um, and I think I, absolutely. And, and the other thing that that kind of came into my awareness as you were speaking is I think it's also as practitioners, not only who we work with as clients, but if you're working at a in with within a group, making conscious choices rather than just jumping to one job to another. and i to who you're working with the inner and the and the energies of those individuals mm. as well, right. i'm I'm very fortunate mm. right now to have a phys- supervising physician who's like, teach me what tapping is like. I need another, we need more modalities for our patients other than what we know and has asked Mm. me to speak to the whole company and, and provide that knowledge. So, um, you know, I think we're moving Mm. into that. And as we, we we create more self-awareness for us, we're making more self-awareness and giving permission for our children to do the same. And I, we're 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 getting there. Um, it's just it's just hard. I think as conscious individuals to like not have everything where we want it just yet, right? We just visualize this peaceful yeah. earth and we know it's coming, but it's like can It can't happen now. Um, yeah. What we didn't talk about, and I'm curious if you could take us through what a session of kinesiology looks like. I know how I quote unquote practiced it. It just really just muscle mm. testing in, in my practice. Mm. But what does it look like to take it? a step further in in a session.
1: Well, it's such a hard one to describe because every session is as individual as the person who's coming in. And and depending on it again on what we're working with, like it'll look very different for a, you know, somebody who's suffering from complex trauma to somebody who's suffering from grief or somebody who's wanting to grow their business. So again, it really depends, you know, I have sessions where it ends up almost being a conversation and almost like a a psychology consultation where we're just having a discussion about what's going on and they don't even hop on the table. There are other times that, um, you know, we end up in more of a coaching style session again, where they don't hop up on the table or we do some coaching and then I get them up on the table. So it really depends, but in a, in a more traditional kinesiology session, we have that initial discussion. So the, the first session Often we can spend up to 45 minutes talking about their past and their history. Mm-hmm. And that can challenge some people because they're like, I want to get on the table and actually get some work happening. Yeah. And that's great. But if I don't understand your full history, then, you know, we can come into some problems. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we sometimes that first session, we only get to do a very short mm-hmm. bit. But then obviously the next session, I, I try and get them up much, much sooner. So we still have a discussion about what's going on. We then, depending on what we're working on, we may set a specific goal and then we'll get them up on the table, work through what is stopping them achieving that goal. So we will then test up what emotions are sitting there and you know what other things we need to know. So the type of kinesiology, I work with has what's called finger mode so it, it's like our finger is an index system our mm-hmm. fingers and so I will work through all the different finger modes and see which ones are relevant to the issue that we're working with and looking at which parts of the body then are affected where the blockages are held when it's started so we will often look at the causal time of you know when they started and I'll go to somebody okay what was happening when you were three And they go, oh, you know, we moved house or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, so how does that and the feelings you were feeling then relate to now? And they'll be like, oh, because I'm feeling a little bit displaced or I'm, you know, Mm -hmm. not feeling very stable or secure, whatever it is. Or when I went through that move, I remember, you know, feeling this. Okay, so how's that relevant now? Because those past things are informing Mm -hmm. how we are acting and reacting now. And so when we're wanting to change the behaviours, we're looking at what emotions and thoughts are sitting behind those behaviours, when they started, where it started, where it's being held, and then we can vibrationally shift that. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, like I said, my resentment hasn't stopped because I've been doing this work for so long, but I'm so much better at catching it. I catch it quicker. I don't fall into that same spiral. Mm -hmm. So as much as I still have that, it's not... Necessarily informed by the past. It's not because of the resentment I felt as a child or anything like that. I know that it's, you know, okay, this is because I haven't looked after myself enough or whatever it is. You know, it's the same way that, you know, we talk about clearing, you know, anger or sadness or whatever it is. It's, it doesn't mean you're never going to feel it again. It just means that you're going to recognize it, you're going to understand why it's there, and then you're going to be able to choose a response rather than go into these reactionary patterns that did serve you at some point, that were necessary for you to have at some point. You needed those to survive. And that makes a huge difference when we start to understand you know, all of my shitty behaviours in the past at one stage kept me safe, kept me healthy and kept me alive so that I could live to adulthood now this when i go into a reactionary pattern most often we go into a reactionary pattern that is formed before the age of two mm-hmm. now that is you know i use the analogy there of it's like going and instead of using our big power tools to do big adult jobs we're going back and we're getting you know our little fisher price toolkit yes. yeah. um you know, I, and I see it now with I've got this vision of my son when he was 18 months old. We were putting something together in the garden and he ran inside to go and get his little plastic drill and his little plastic hammer and all of that stuff, and he's come out with his little toolkit. We know those tools are useless for, you know, putting something together where you need an actual electric drill and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But he thought he was helping. Yes. And it's great. I obviously encouraged that because he was a child. But it's interesting now when I see adults acting unresourcefully, I almost see them in that outfit going and getting their Fisher-Prize toolkit because what it helps me do is empathise. They are doing the best they can. Mm. They truly believe that they are helping, that they are acting in their highest good, and I have to accept that and be compassionate for that because they're the only tools they can access right now. Mm. And to be fair, if I handed them a power tool at that point, who knows what damage they could do for themselves because they're not in a resourceful space to be able to employ it. Mm. And so there also needs to be that trauma clearing so that we can get them to a space where they can hold those tools carefully and that they know when to use them and when to employ them and how to employ them for their highest good.
0: Mm. That's such an applicable metaphor. And I Mm. I got all excited because that's something that I used to teach my clients to, not so much as deep as you went, but listen, if you're struggling with your partner, it's probably because they're acting out of their inner child. So see them as that. And then that'll give you the space not to react. reactive, Yeah. Reactive. So I, Mm. I I love that. That's also the way you see things, but also, and and I love the little Fisher price toolkit. (laughs) that you, it's funny. I, so my, my son is um, 22 months. He will be 22 months this week. And he, he know he knows his tools don't work, so he's, he's got his yeah. own little Fisher Price thing, and he'll try to dig up, and then he'll just throw yeah. it and grab my husband's spade and just start using that instead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's it's true, and I, I um, uh, yeah, I, I I love that metaphor. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Is I, I know there's certain aspects of kinesiology that people can do for themselves, right? There's there's definitely mm-hmm. um, reasons to seek a professional. What things could people try and see and explore what it looks like for themselves? Um, And is this something that could be done virtually too?
1: Yeah, look, I do. Um, I I guess the pandemic changed that. So previously we were not allowed to call it kinesiology if we did it online because Mm -hmm. we're not physically touching them and, and manual muscle testing. Now, I work slightly different from some kinesiologists. So some kinesiologists will surrogate your energy. So they will take on your energy and read it from themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally use more of my, um, I guess, the the mediumship stuff that I'd learned or the, the psychic and mediumship stuff that I'd learned. So the way I look at it is I am tuning into your radio station. Mm-hmm. So I am effectively getting my auric field. And even when we're having this conversation, you know, I'm tuned into your own unique radio station, I've taken my energetic field and it's like I've thrown a blanket over you Mm -hmm. and your field so that I'm reading your field as a separate entity to mine.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And then I can muscle test on myself to read what's contained within that field. So that's yeah. my way of, of working it. Um, and so I will then muscle test. And, again, a lot more of it online becomes the talking. But the, the beauty of it is that you get to do your own corrections and techniques. Mm-hmm. So if you've got to rub acupressure points or if you've got to, you know, run meridians or whatever it is, I will then give you the instructions on how to do that and and where to rub and and all of that kind of thing. Um, If I need essential oils or vibrational remedies, I will smell them. I will take them, but effectively pass that vibration on through that field and Mm -hmm. through that, you know, radio station Mm -hmm. frequency to you so that you're still receiving the benefits of it. And then, you know we talk about the resonance of it so it does work beautifully online and and some people prefer it um i've got i've got a client who's in like a neighboring suburb who does online sessions because they like them being in their own space afterwards yeah. and being able to you know chill out grab a cup of tea whatever it is without having to then hop in the car and drive and concentrate and you know almost break that yeah. sacred connection mm-hmm. um so they're then able to i guess feel it into the day a little bit more which i think is lovely mm-hmm. um so, yeah, so I guess it works a little bit in that way. Um, and, you know, in terms of stuff that people can do at home, there are different things that, that they can do. Um, I guess for the people who are listening rather than watching, it might be a little bit tricky um, to, to take people through things. Um, but one of the ones that, you know, we can do is stand firmly on both of our feet. And think of something that we love. Mm -hmm. And our body tends to move forward Mm -hmm. because we move towards, it's like a preference. I have a preference for that. So my body will move towards. So if we're thinking about something we love, we've got a preference for it. Mm -hmm. If we think of something that we dislike quite strongly, you know, my partner, Brussels sprouts, you know, (laughs) cauliflower, you know, he will think of that and his body will move backwards. Mm -hmm. You know, if I think of, you know, people who, you know, aren't energetically aligned for me, I will move backwards. Mm-hmm. And so in doing that, when you're standing on your two feet, you get a preference of, you know, this feels good, this doesn't feel good. So you can use it as a general yes, no. Now, it's not an oracle, so we're not predicting the future or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the answer is only ever as good as the question that we're asking. Right. You know, again, if you put, say, an apple and an orange, one in each hand, and you asked your body what was in your highest good, your body would move towards which fruit, you know. So if if there was an apple in your left hand, your body would move towards the left. If it needed more of, if the apple was more beneficial for you or if the orange was more beneficial, it would move towards the right if it was in the right hand. And so you can use it for things like that again, say with supplements, um, you know, my need for certain supplements changes every day. So especially vitamin C. So Mm -hmm. when I'm, when I'm really stressed, I was having up to, you know, six or even 10 vitamin C tablets spread throughout the day because Mm -hmm. my body was craving it and needing it. And so I was able to hold the container in my hand. I mean, I've got other ways of muscle testing as well, but you know, I could hold it in my hand and go, okay, how many of these do I need today? Do I need, you know, is it under five? Yes. Okay. So is it one? No. Two? No. Three? No. Four? Yes. Okay. So four. Do I take them all at once? No. Mm-hmm. How many times, you know,
0: yeah. yeah. how
1: many doses do I split it into? So you can ask it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes mine would end up being, say, two in the morning, two at lunchtime and two in the evening so that I was getting that repair or the the boost for the beginning of the day, the maintenance for in the day, and then at night time I'd have the repair state. And so, you know, you can use it a little bit like that as well, what's in my highest good. And I tend to use the what's in my highest good because our highest good changes depending on our energy levels and how much sleep we've gotten and how well nourished we are and how well hydrated we are and, you know, our emotional immunity and all of that sort of stuff so Mm. I love I love sort of working in that way as well so that can be a really easy one it's really fun to use when you're choosing presents for people that you may not know you know you can Mm. walk into a store and go okay do I turn left or right (laughs) yeah
0: I have done that do I
1: turn left or right okay left no right okay I'll go right Mm-hmm. Is it on the you know bottom shelf, middle shelf, top shelf. You know, oh, it's on the top shelf. Okay, this section, this section, and so you can work it down, and and f- because you're tuning into the energy of the person and the energy of what's in the store,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it,
1: it it brings some really quite surprising results.
0: <laughs> That's a great um, example, and it's fun to play with. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I do that all the time. It's so funny you mentioned that because I never put those things together. But yep, I do mm. that all the time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, Amanda, this has been really a remarkable conversation. I love it when I, <laughs> when I have a conversation that lights me up and I leave feeling that hope, that glimmer of hope that you had to mm. the world. And, and not to say that I came into this like, Wop, but at the same time, you know, I was in mom mode and then I was in partner mode and then back to mom mode and yeah. then, you know, podcast mode. So thank you for opening me up, cracking yeah, me open and, and having this discussion where can people find you if they want to be more in your energy and, and I guess what offers do you have for them currently that maybe they could tap into if they want to learn more from you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I've been on a number of podcasts, so I am setting up sort of both Spotify and YouTube playlists so that people can obviously find the, find the previous works that I've done and obviously find the (laughs) hosts who've hosted me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that is, I've never even thought about putting a playlist together for all that. that is incredibly brilliant. I've never heard that before. Yeah, there you go. Kudos. That's great.
1: <laughs> um, I'm also at www.amandacate.comau So um, that's probably the easiest way to find me. It has my um, certainly my Facebook and my Instagram links on there. Um, at Facebook I'm Amanda Kate Transformation. Instagram is Amanda underscore underscore Kate. Um, I'm on TikTok at Divinely Messy, although I'm only new on that and just playing around, having fun. I do have a YouTube channel but I'm pretty inconsistent there and I'm on LinkedIn at Amanda-Kate. So on pretty much all the socials, Um, I probably need to pick one and do it well rather than ladder things around so my book is um divine messy human and i know it is on kindle uh, books i know barnes and noble carry the physical copy and i believe amazon carry the physical copy as well so um i think barnes and noble might only be online of course not in actual bricks and mortar stores Um, and you can get it through my website but i'm guessing if you guys needed it in the states especially it'd be easier to grab a kindle copy or to um you know order it from one of the online services over there
0: Mm, That's so wonderful. Emboldened.